The reading today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through to chapter 2, verse 3. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what the person or time this the time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, or sorry, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is God's word. The Apostle Peter opened his letter, uh, as we saw last week, with a beautiful and, and powerful clarity about the salvation that God bestows on unworthy people. In his great mercy, he does this. He causes them to be reborn into a faith in Jesus Christ, uh, to trust that the sprinkling of his blood will pay for the debt of their sin, uh, such that they can then be brought into the people of God. Uh, Their faith is going to be tested and refined by various trials in this life uh, here on, but that faith in Jesus Christ will deliver them safely into salvation at the end. Uh, This is how Peter started his letter. Uh, This is the gospel of the ages, brothers and sisters. Uh, The overarching storyline of the whole Bible uh, is the story of God pursuing sinners to cleanse them from their sins so that they can be with him in his holy presence for all eternity, just as they were created to be. And the gospel of the ages shows us exactly how God did that. 
He reveals to us the mechanism of his justice against our sin within his great mercy to spare us that judgment. He gave us the Son who came in the flesh and blood of Jesus to lay down his life as a ransom payment for for the debt for our sin that we could never have paid ourselves. Uh, He received the judgment that you and I deserve upon his own shoulders. That blood, as we know, opened up for you and I, brothers and sisters, salvation. And you and I can sit here and know that and speak of that Apostles' Creed we looked at this morning because God has now done these things in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. But the biblical prehistory to that event had also been foretold by God's prophets long ago. As Peter says in verse 10 of our reading, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets of old who were given this uh, word of, of this one sweet gospel of all the ages, they were desperate to know when all of this would come to be. They too, of course, and and all the people of God with them at various times in the past, they were sinners who needed God's salvation. And knowing the basic thrust of, of God's coming gospel, those prophets must have, and Peter says did, long to know more of the specifics, and, and particularly, as Peter says here, how long? When will the Christ bring this, this once-for-all-time salvation for God's people? It was revealed to them, Peter says, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. How desperate that the heavens and the earth have been for this gospel of the ages. You and I sit here knowing in Jesus Christ crucified some 1,990-ish years ago, we sit here knowing what the prophets of long ago and even the angels of heaven longed to know more about. We can sit here knowing because it has been revealed to us now by Christ's apostles who by the Holy Spirit wrote this down for us in Scripture explaining to us in letters like this the depth and the riches of God's mercy for us in that once-for-all atonement event. The good news, Peter says, the gospel of the ages has been proclaimed to us. What a position we find ourselves in to now you know, map our lives forward as God's people. From within this knowledge of our sure salvation in Jesus Christ, who, who ransoms from sin all who receive him by faith. What a glorious truth we now know. In a lovely order now, Peter sets out how we can map out our life as God's people in that knowledge of our salvation. He sets out the logical response to that gospel that we do know for those who have come to receive it. And in short, there are two things for us to latch on to today in scripture that's open in front of us. First, receiving the gospel flows into holy living. Receiving the gospel flows into holy living. And second, just a clarifier around that point, holy living isn't the gospel. 
Receiving the gospel flows into holy living, but holy living isn't the gospel. Uh, let's look at the second point there first, because Peter's already set us up for this pretty well. He's laid down for us now 12 verses that we looked at uh, last week and now this week, uh, how this salvation has been granted to us by the mercy of God our Father, secured for us in the blood of the incarnate Son, revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter's already told us that God births us into this faith. He guards us through this faith. He will bring us through this faith to the outcome of it in the end, salvation. In other words, it has been God. It has been God. It has been God. We've been granted salvation. And all we must do to receive this gospel is Receive this gospel. Peter's now going to speak about us living holy lives in response to that gospel. As, as you can see by glancing through that next paragraph, and as you would have picked up as, as Linda read it to us, but we need to be careful as we do step into that space that we don't get things the wrong way around here. The best way for us to do that, I think, is first of all to just catch the big therefore at the start of verse 13. Therefore preparing your minds for action, etc., etc., etc. After 12 verses telling us about the gospel that, that God has so mercifully granted to us in Jesus Christ, Peter now goes on to speak of our way of life as the fitting response to having received that salvation. The world and its religions speak of it the other way around, you know, of you and I trying to live right to earn salvation from God. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks of it this way, salvation for sinners by God's grace, which then flows into right living. And that isn't just flagged in that one word at the start of verse 13, that big therefore. Now, Peter's going to remind us of that gospel order several times in this passage. He's going to take us back and forth until we see it. But if you can see it there in that big therefore, I think now you'll probably spot it more easily all the way through. In fact, the rest of that verse is actually still stuck on that bedrock first that saves us. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's determined not to get too quickly into the holy living that now flows out of our salvation. We cannot get this wrong, uh, and he won't let us get this the wrong way around. So too, of course, this order is written all the way through the other scriptures that unpack the gospel for us, because this is the gospel at its beautiful bedrock, that Christ died for sinners, not for the righteous who were living holy lives, but the power of the gospel of God's grace is not just to save, but then transform us humble sinners which is what Peter is waiting to get on and speak about in our passage, the transformation that does flow out of our salvation. We just need to be very careful as we step into this space with Peter, and it's almost like he's tentatively bringing us into this space so that we don't make the mistake and get this wrong. So be careful, and particularly if you're new to Christ or if you're just checking out the Christian faith, just be careful to catch that logical order of the gospel our salvation is built on nothing less and nothing more than Jesus' blood. But in that truth, from within that salvation that God grants to us, 
we are then transformed by the wonder and the knowledge of that sure salvation. His gospel changes our life. His gospel changes our life. Peter, I think, is now ready to step us gently into this holy response. In verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. There are two senses in which the Bible uses this holiness idea, uh, and the one bleeds over into the other. The more fundamental meaning of, of what it is to be holy is that we are set aside for God. We thought about that last week in the opening framework, way back at verse 2, where that word sanctification is used in our ESV translation. Sanctification, that's the holiness word. Uh, to be consecrated, to be sanctified, made holy, or, or just in plain speak, set aside for God. God has already done this for us by his spirit, uh, that first sense of holiness, which maybe we can call holiness one. The secondary meaning of holiness is about purity in how we now live, that we are appropriately clean and, and worthy to be of service to God for whom we have been set aside. And it is because we have been set aside for God that we are now called to live in a way that befits this designation God has put upon us. We seek to now live in purity, of course, in what we might call holiness too. The thing is, though, most people, when they think of the word holy, they only ever really think of that second sense of holiness, holiness too, living pure. And that can play into this dangerous mistake of getting the gospel the wrong way around. That's the religion of the world. The religion of the world, all of them say, you know, be holy, as, as in holiness too, live purely, and you might earn your way into God's presence. But God's gospel runs the other way around. He makes us holy, as in set aside as his holy, holiness one, and then he starts making us pure in line with that calling. Hopefully this first chapter of, of First Peter will help draw that out for you, that gospel order. We were once held captive, Peter says, uh, by what he calls uh, our former ignorance. This is when we were without God. That's the default common estate of all humankind and, and generically and, and without exception it is. But we who are in Christ now are no longer common because we have been set aside for God. And because we are holy in that first sense of holiness, so too we should now leave behind the common, the ignorance, the various passions that we formerly knew. And we should now become holy in the second sense of that word. We must now let God make us purer like Christ. Since we carry Jesus' name, we should be holy like him. Do you see how uh, the gospel flows quite naturally into holy living? In fact, I believe we can look at verse 15 there. And that word shall in the sense of this being our destiny, 
as God's people. This was a foretelling of the future that he had promised for us. You shall be holy, God says, because I am holy. It is your destiny. We have been set aside for him. Nothing could be, of course, more set aside uh, nor more pure than God. He is holy, holy, holy in both senses of that word. And he has set us aside for him, holiness one, with the very purpose that we become pure, holiness two. We shall be holy. And yet after calling us into holiness too, Peter takes us straight back again to to the foundation of this, holiness one, so that we don't get lost, so that we keep clear-minded about the gospel that saves us first, that we've been set aside by God. He says in verse 17, if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That we were ransomed reminds us that, no, it's not our efforts at holiness that bring us into God's favour. That we were ransomed from the futile ways of our forefathers reminds us that the best human efforts did not yield holiness. And our forefathers' only hope, therefore, is the same gospel that gives us hope. And the, the ransom required something so precious that the priceless blood of Christ, a lamb without any blemish or spot, it makes it clear that our salvation comes by something no human could ever provide. And knowing all that, here's the thing he's saying, knowing all that helps us to lock in as our foundation the judgment of God that should be coming for us, for our actual deeds. A rightful fear of what should have befallen us ought to keep us humbly under this gospel that saved us. He's not going to let us forget that gospel. He just won't let us forget this gospel. And nor, therefore, will he stop proclaiming Christ, who who saved us by his blood. Christ, who was with God and who was God since all eternity, as his friend John taught us, and has now been revealed to us as the Lamb of God who ransomed us from our sin. This is what the prophets and the angels longed to know and which we, thanks to Jesus' apostles, sit here knowing in the fullness of the scriptures that we have. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The gospel that saves us is like bedrock because our faith and our hope are in God himself. It is his gospel. He is the one who gave us the Son. He is the one who let our punishment fall on him. He is the one who allowed that our ransom be paid by him. He is the one who raised him from the dead. He is the one who gave him glory. And that blood 
not our efforts at holiness or anything uh, so futile like that. No, that blood of Jesus is what has made us holy as the people of God. Which means we can then and, and we will then flow forward to now living for this calling that God has put upon us as Peter steps back into that space again. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The verse runs one direction and then runs back the other direction. The gospel flows into right living because it has this very purpose. We've been purified, receiving the gospel of truth, to become people who who love each other purely. Holiness one has been applied to us, and so holiness two must therefore now flow. But again, Peter is careful once more to frame that call on what God has done. And he takes us straight back to the bedrock in verse 23. This is the reason we should now love each other in a pure and holy way, because we have been born again. We have been born again. We have been saved, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. We have been born again. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. We have been born again by the power of God. The gospel of the ages, friends, that Christ has died for our sins has been preached to us. And when it finds us, it will never let us go. This is the living, abiding, imperishable promise of God that will remain forever. In Christ, we are set aside to be the people of God forever. But that bedrock truth of who we now are flows into action, response. We can't afford to ignore this part either. And and Peter's determined to help us see this second part as he gently again steps us back into this space of the response with a little more detail this time, now perhaps that we're ready for it. Chapter 2. So, he says... In other words, therefore, as per verse 13, because of what God has done for you forever, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Three times now, Peter has rocked back and forth between those two different angles on the gospel. The gospel that saved us, but with the logical purpose to then transform us. And here perhaps we might stop and unpack some of this more detailed response here, this call to action he puts here. What what specific ways does Peter put to us that our holy calling should grow us in holy living? Well, it's not an inclusive list, but five examples that stem from the common ignorant way of life we used to have that that no longer fit with the holy calling God has put on us. 
malice can be brought in meaning, such as just badness or, or evil, depravity, wickedness. Peter uses the word that way later in the chapter. So too, though, it can be more nuanced in meaning as, as to being mean-spirited or, or malicious in our intent towards others. And perhaps that's how Peter means the word here, since it's running on from the call to love each other earnestly from a pure heart. Neither sense of the word, though, is fitting, is it, for those who have been set aside for God? If we've been ransomed from our sin by the precious blood of Christ, how could we still pursue evil or depravity? How could we be mean-spirited or vindictive towards others when so much has been done for us? Deceit is to take advantage of others through trickery, treachery, lies, deception, underhanded methods. Surely the people of God would no longer use those kinds of means to, to get ahead or, or to cover up their sins. Hypocrisy is to say one thing and do another thing, to live in pretense, uh, live in an outward show of religiosity perhaps. Surely now our, our true motivations and our true actions should line up and they should be honest and transparent and they should be holy because God, our God, is holy and we've been set aside for him. Envy is the unhealthy desire for what someone else has and therefore a discontentment over what we already have been given. Do we not know where we stand? Do we not know how much we have received? Can we even grasp the sheer heights of this gospel that Peter has been talking about and still somehow feel empty or, or, or resentful of what others have or, or longing for something else? It doesn't really fit if we've grasped the gospel. Slander is to speak ill of another. Defamation, backbiting, evil speech even. Again, have we forgotten our place in God's people? Do we not know that it is by God's mercy and only by God's mercy that we were born again into our own hope of salvation? What are we trying to achieve now when, when we do speak poorly of others? All of these things, I think, connect back to that simpler version of Peter's call in verse 22, that we love others from a pure heart. We've been given a new heart to love others earnestly now from a place of purity that we never used to have. And so we should get on and do that now as the people of God. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander are various ways in which we cover or, or, or try to hide or, or repress or restrain the purity of this new heart that God has in us and, and our, our love for one another that should flow. There's nothing pure about those five things, is there? There's nothing loving about those five things. Christians have been made holy unto God for a reason, to become holy like our God. Some Christians seem to just stop at, at the gospel of personal salvation in Jesus' blood, probably at first because it is just so wonderful. 
It is so glorious. It is. But he died for us to save us for a reason. That we should be a people in his name and for him. That we should be the people of God. There is a transformative work that the Spirit of Christ now wants to do in us to make us more and more like him. Since we have indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good, just so we ourselves should now crave for ourselves what is good and pure. Holiness one is unto holiness two. The gospel flows into holy living. Other Christians skip over the gospel bedrock, perhaps because it highlights their absolute sin so powerfully and their desperate need. And they just pick up and latch on to these transformative kind of verses of Scripture. They love those parts and they, they latch onto them and they only latch onto them. But when they do that, they inadvertently reshape Christianity to become just another religion of the world. But holy living is not the gospel. Christ died to save us from our sin. This is the Christian gospel. As he rocks back and forth between the bedrock of salvation that God has graciously already given to us and the new way of life we should now therefore live, Peter's giving to us the simple biblical and natural truth for those who have been set free. The gospel just flows into holy living. Holy living, though, isn't the gospel. Getting these two things right and and in the right order is vital. To mistake the call here in Peter's letter to holy living for the thing that saves us is, is to completely lose the Christian gospel altogether, that it is God in his mercy who saves us in Christ dying to ransom us from our sin. We will never find purity without that first truth. We will never find purity without that first bedrock truth. We will never find our way to God. To catch the gospel though, but to miss the call then that follows into a holy life is to fail to understand God's purposes and his desire for us that we should not just be his but becoming pure like him. Friends, we don't just need to be ransomed from the penalty of our sin. We need to be set free from sin altogether. And this is what God has in store for us as his people. Hallelujah and amen. I hope everyone can go away from this scripture and and think about God's gospel and your life. Think of God's gospel and your life and ask tough questions. Are you living in any way at any level under the impression that, that somehow, at some level, it's your best efforts that might save you in the end or might be called upon to sort of just shore up your salvation? Step instead into the undeserved wonder of the gospel of grace. God has done this for us in Christ crucified for our sin. 
Are you, on the other hand, living a, a neutral kind of existence as a Christian? You know, as if God just keeps cancelling your sin without any better plans for you. Step instead into the full wonder of what God now seeks to do through that gospel of grace in your life. Holy living isn't the gospel, and praise God for that. But the gospel does flow into holy living. When we get this order right, it actually liberates us into a joy of growing in holiness for our God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your scripture to us and this letter of First Peter that we've opened up for the new term. We thank you, Father, for the, for the twin truths that we see here that Peter steps us in and out of, back and forwards, about, about salvation and about holiness, that, that you have made us holy first by setting us aside as yours and, and that you now call us to be holy just like you. That is a big call on us, Father, as you know better than we do. But since you have ransomed us to be your people, we pray that you will now work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. We pray you please do this for us in Jesus' holy name and for his eternal glory and for our eternal benefit in him. Amen.